Good morning. Everybody's got on their jackets and their sweaters and warm clothes. It is great to be in Florida this morning. Um, before I get started, I have an announcement to make. Derek and some of our teenagers are at winter camp uh, this weekend, long weekend. I hope they're staying warm. But uh, Derek asked me to make an announcement. On February 11th, the youth group is hosting a Valentine's event celebrating love and marriage. And they want you to be a part of it. And there is a sign-up sheet by, his, uh, office, by the office door over here for you to sign up for that. The date has changed. They didn't want to compete with the Super Bowl on the original date. We're all going to be watching the Bucks on Super Bowl Sunday. So they changed the date. And uh, it is now February 11th. So sign up for that and be a part of that. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So last week we began a new sermon series. And we're trying to go against the grain of society, trying to take the spotlight off of ourselves a little bit and put the spotlight on others. We want to make better choices for the new year. And we're calling this series, I Have Someone in Mind. And I am challenging you every week to be thinking of some specific names as we go through some of these thoughts during the end of this series and to do something about the people that you're thinking of. And last Sunday, we began by specific people that we can be praying for. And I challenge you to write down some names on a piece of paper, and I challenge you to put an alarm on your phone, and every single day, pray for some specific people and some specific situations. And I know that a lot of you did that. I know a lot of you did that because I've talked to a lot of you about that, so I appreciate that. I, I hope... We're all doing that. And by the way, that wasn't a one-week thing, okay? I challenged you for a week, but if you can do it for a week, you can do it for two. So uh, keep that up. And you know what God's going to do with all those prayers? I don't either. I have no idea. But I do know he heard them. And I do know that he went to work when you prayed. So this week... I have another challenge for you to consider. Is there someone that you need to be reaching out to? And right off the bat, that sounds intimidating, doesn't it? You introverts. Your throat is tightening just looking at that slide, isn't it? No, I don't want to do that. A woman tells her husband one day, you need to do more chores around the house. He said, can we please change the subject? She said, okay, more chores around the house need to be done by you. <laughs> you English majors think that's funny, right? Yeah. The preacher says, as Christians, we need to be reaching out more, and we want to change the subject, right? But that shouldn't be so uncomfortable. That, that doesn't necessarily need to be so intimidating, shouldn't be something that we shy away from, out of fear or guilt or some feeling of inadequacy. Now, usually when we think about someone who's 
who is reaching out to others in a spiritual context, we usually think about someone who has a real outgoing personality, someone who loves to talk, likes to argue, likes to debate with people, maybe someone who, you know, who knows it all or at least thinks they know it all. But that is not the biblical example of what we read about people who seem to be most successful in telling other people about Jesus. Not at all. So we want to look this morning at what it takes to reach out to other people in a way that's effective, in a way that feels authentic, regardless of what our personality type might be regardless of how much experience we feel like we have in ministry, regardless of how much Bible we think we have memorized, what does that actually look like? And I want to tell you right up front, this is for everybody. No matter who you are, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is for all of us. Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat, FSU fan, Christian, everybody, okay? We all can do this. In fact, we are all commanded to do this. So this morning, I want to talk about somebody that you're going to be familiar with who I think did a great job pointing people to Jesus. And I think he was an, extra, an introvert. I'm not sure about that, but, but I think he was an introvert. Last quarter, Mike didn't mention this gentleman in his unsung heroes of the Bible, but he could have. This morning I want to talk just a little bit about Andrew. And if you know your Bible at all, you know some things about Andrew. And the first thing that comes to mind probably is you know Andrew as Simon Peter's brother. That's how Andrew is known. He's Simon Peter's brother. In fact, the poor guy seems to constantly be living in the shadow of his brother. And some of you know what that's like. I grew up with two older brothers and an older sister. Most of you do not know my older brother, Don. Don is the smart one of the family. And I mean geeky smart. Um, straight-A student, perfect score on the SAT kind of smart. So when I get to high school, all the teachers are always asking me, are you Don's brother? And I would say, no, I'm Randy's brother. You know, the academic bar is much lower. But Andrew seems to live in the shadow of his brother, Simon Peter. But what makes Andrew so amazing is every time we see him in the Gospel of John, every single time he's bringing someone to Jesus. Every time. We're introduced first to him in John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said who had followed Jesus, John being John the Baptist. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Okay, right off the bat, we learn a thing or two about this man, Andrew. Uh, Other disciples had their names changed. 
Other disciples got these catchy nicknames. Now, right off the bat, Jesus calls his brother Cephas, Peter, the rock. James and John were the sons of thunder. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, we know uh, Thomas as Doubting Thomas. When the gospel writer wants to identify Andrew, how does he do it? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Of course, Andrew's brother Peter was that larger-than-life personality. And Andrew would really spend most of his life sort of in the shadow of Peter. And then one day, Andrew meets Jesus. And Jesus is everything that Andrew had hoped for, everything that he dreamed about, everything that he'd prayed about. Andrew is convinced Jesus is the Messiah. And we're told that the very first thing that Andrew does is he goes and finds his brother, Simon. He says, Simon, you've got to meet who I just met. And he brings Simon to Jesus. And again, Jesus immediately changes Simon's name. I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you Peter, the rock. But what does Andrew do with the person who is closest to him? He takes him to Jesus. And if you think that Andrew might be a little bit jealous as Jesus addresses Simon, so I'm changing your name to the rock, think again. Andrew had to be thinking to himself, seeing his brother Simon with Jesus, this is as good as it gets. This is really as good as it gets. The person that I love the most, I've just introduced them to who I'm convinced is the Messiah. It just doesn't get any better than this. To bring someone I love to Jesus. That's the best. You know, for 2,000 years, people have been bringing others to Jesus one person at a time. One brother, one sister, one child, one friend, one co-worker. The very first time in the book of John we see anyone bringing someone to Jesus, it's Andrew bringing his brother. He shows up again in the sixth chapter of John. It's another very famous event. Jesus is teaching 5,000 men, probably twice that number if you count women and children. And Jesus asks Philip, the disciple, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip says, we're not. (laughs) Not enough money. Not enough bread, even if there was enough money. And while Philip and Jesus are having this conversation, the text says this in John chapter 6. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Apparently, Andrew noticed someone that no one else noticed. Andrew, who is used to not being noticed himself, noticed someone that no one else notices. He notices a little boy that has lunch, and the boy seems to be willing to share his lunch. Now, I want you to notice something. Andrew did not have this all figured out when he brought this boy to Jesus. He didn't bring this boy to Jesus and say, okay, I got a boy here with some food. Here's what you're going to do, Jesus. Here's how we're going to solve the problem. I've laid it out. Not at all. In fact, Andrew admits that he doesn't have it figured out. He says, here's a boy with a lunch, but what will this do with so many? 
Listen, you do not have to have it all figured out before you talk to someone about Jesus. You don't have to know how the story is going to end. In fact, it's okay to admit, I don't know what Jesus is going to do. Because our job isn't to figure out what Jesus is going to do. Our job is to get people to Jesus. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus, to brag on Jesus. Because if we wait until we've got it all figured out, he will never come up in conversation. So, of course, Jesus performs this amazing miracle. The the whole crowd is fed. The whole crowd is amazed. 5,000 men, again, probably 10 or 12,000 people if you add in women and children. And you know that for the rest of their lives, those 10, 12,000 people, you know they would be telling this story, right? I was there. That day Jesus took this little bit of food, I was there. So much food. We ate all we wanted and there's 12 baskets left over. They'd tell that story forever. This little boy, he'd be telling that story for the rest of his life. Hey, when Jesus fed the 5,000, that was me. Those five loaves, two fish, that was me. That was my food. You know, he, he, he'd tell that story till the day he died. And I don't know this to be true, but I seriously doubt if Andrew's name ever came up in that boy's story. In fact, I suspect he never knew the name of the grown-up who took him to Jesus. But if it weren't for Andrew, that little boy wouldn't have made it to Jesus. Then we meet him one more time in the book of John. Kind of an interesting scenario that's playing out. Um, Some of you might not know this story. It's a little bit more obscure. It's in John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. John tells us there were some Greeks there for the feast. Now, when John says there were Greeks, it doesn't necessarily mean they were from Greece. What John is telling us is they were Gentiles. These were not Israelites. They were were Gentiles. They weren't part of the Jewish uh, race. But they were interested in the Israelites' religion. And apparently they were very curious about this man, Jesus. So they come to Philip and they say, we would like to see Jesus. Interestingly, interestingly, Philip doesn't take them to Jesus. And there's probably a good reason for that. In the first century, for a Jewish rabbi to be talking and teaching with Gentiles, that was kind of a delicate thing. There were some rules about that. And if you were the disciple who set up that meeting, that that could be kind of an awkward thing as well. So notice what Philip does in verse 22. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Rather than taking these men to Jesus, Philip takes them to Andrew. For some reason, Philip trusted Andrew to know what to do. And of course, Andrew has no problem in taking a group of Gentiles to see Jesus. Andrew seems to have learned, you know what, when you bring people to Jesus, amazing things happen. And I think in a lot of ways, Andrew is maybe the first guy who really gets it. He really gets it. 
Andrew says, I'll bring anybody to Jesus. I don't care. I don't care if it's a family member. I don't care if it's a, it's a kid. I don't care if it's a foreigner. Because I know amazing things happen when people meet Jesus. Wouldn't it be great to be known as someone who brought people to Jesus? Wouldn't that be a great epitaph? She was always bringing people to Jesus. Well, that's Andrew's story. We only see him three times in the Gospel of John. Every single time, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Andrew got it. Listen, I know that we're all different. We have different personalities, different interests, different gifts. There are some people in this room who can talk to anyone about anything, anywhere. Chris Sutherland. Doesn't matter. I know there are people in this room who are very quiet. My wife is one of them. She was voted most bashful in her senior class. She hates the fact that I'm drawing attention to her right now. Trust me. But I'll tell you what, she has a PhD in prayer. We've all got different gifts. We've all got different abilities. And our task is not to transform anyone. Our task is not to change someone's heart. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our task is to plant some seeds. Our task is to talk about Jesus. To brag about Jesus. To tell people about Jesus. Because you, you won't reap a harvest if you don't plant a seed. So... I was trying to think of a way to wrap this up with a kind of a realistic challenge as we try to make this personal and practical. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, would make analogies to the spiritual body and the human body. Uh, talk about the human body has eyes and ears and, and feet and hands. And he makes the analogy to the spiritual body, how uh, every person has a place and a purpose in the kingdom. And I'm going to kind of follow Paul's analogy, thinking about parts of our body, to remind us and hopefully challenge us as we think about people, someone specifically that we can reach out to. And hopefully these are simple enough that you can remember them. So first thing I want you to think about are your hands. You know, when you think about hands, you think about doing things. Think about serving and when you serve someone, you show genuine love and concern. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.10, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. Whatever your gift might be, you need to use that gift to serve someone, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Use your hands to serve someone. There are so many wonderful things that will never happen unless you do it. Everyone responds to being served. Everyone responds to kindness. Second thing I want you to remember, your eyes. We need to be paying close attention. We need to be scanning the horizon. We need to be looking for people who are looking for Jesus. And one of the two times in Scripture where we read about Jesus crying 
is over the city of Jerusalem. He looks at the city. He, he knows what they need. He knows what their decision is going to be. He knows what, what that city's outcome is going to be. And he, he cries. Luke records it in Luke 19. As, we, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, wept over it. Jesus always saw people through a spiritual lens. Jesus noticed people that no one else seemed to notice. He noticed people who were hurting. He noticed people who had questions. He just paid attention. He paid attention to what was going on around him. We need to be paying attention to what's going on around us. Paying attention for for people who are trying to pay attention to Jesus. Third thing I want you to think about, your ears. You know, usually when we think about pointing someone to Jesus, we, we think about saying the right thing and saying it in the right way, which that's important. But so is listening. Will Rogers once said, never miss a good chance to shut up. <laughs> a lot of wisdom in, in that statement. Because if you listen closely, people will reveal themselves. Or at least a lot of things about themselves. If you listen closely, people will reveal their doubts and their fears or their questions and their concerns. They'll let you know what's going on in their life if you listen. When our kids were very small, they used to love to play hide and seek. And they loved when Martha and I would play with them. But they were always the hiders. They never wanted to be the seekers. And the truth is, we never had to look for them. we say, okay, go hide. We'd start counting out loud. And all we had to do was listen. Because they couldn't stand to stay hidden. And they'd start giggling or talking, knock something over. And if we waited long enough, they would just say, behind the couch. (laughs) They very much wanted to be found. You parents, you know that's true. There are countless people that we interact with every day who are dying to be found. And they'll give you clues if you listen closely. It might be anger. It might be frustration. It might be sadness. They want to be found. Dean Johnson said, Listening is an art that requires attention over talent, spirit over ego, and others over self. The first duty of love is to listen. But at some point, we have to say something. Hands, eyes, ears, and mouth. And this is the point where a lot of people draw the line. Yeah, see, I'm not going to go there. We'll serve, and we'll see... And we'll listen, but don't ask me to say anything. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, if anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will openly acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. Then the message paraphrases 1 Peter 3. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are. 
but do it in a gentle and respectful way. Keep planting those seeds with the words that you use. Speak up. Tell people why you're living the way you are. Again, you don't have to quote a bunch of scripture. There's no formula to go through. Just tell people why you're living the life you're living. Just, just brag about Jesus. Bring them up in conversation. Serve with your hands. Look with your eyes. Listen with your ears. Speak with your mouth. And ultimately, it comes down to your heart. Where's your heart? There has to be a connection. You know, those people that, that God puts in our path, they're, they're, they're not a project. They're not a quota. They're precious souls made in the image of God. We can't claim to love God and not have a heart for the lost. The great composer Schubert said, what I possess in my heart, I share with the world. Which is so true. What's in our heart is what we share with the world. The great missionary Paul said, for Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, I think there's a progression that most Christians go through. And it starts with, I got to. And why are you doing this? It's a command, I got to. And then we mature in our Christian walk, and it kind of turns into, I get to. I, I, me. I get to follow Jesus. And I think the closer we get to the heart of the Lord, it becomes, I have to. I have to do this. I, I am compelled by the love of Jesus to live my life this way. I know a lot of people who will paint their face for a football game, but they won't tell anybody they work with about Jesus. And I know people who will tell anyone and everyone who it is they vote for, but they won't tell anyone who it is they live for. Our responsibility is to plant spiritual seeds. And I bet there's someone that God has put on your heart right now that you're thinking, I need to talk to this person about Jesus. I bet God is speaking to your heart right now because we don't have to think very hard before we can come up with a name or two of people that we really need to share with. You know, I asked you last week to be praying for the lost. This week I'm going to ask you to to keep doing that, but also pray for courage. Courage to serve. Courage to see. Courage to hear. Courage to say something. I want names. You know, think about someone in your life. Maybe it's a friend, co-worker, neighbor, maybe it's a family member. And your heart aches for that person. If your heart's still soft, you weep for that person. And you know that's the kind of hurt that goes deeper than any kind of hurt you can imagine. You know, what do you want for that person that you're thinking of? What do you want for that person that you care about, that you love? Well, I want the Jesus life for that person. That's what I want. 
I want him to be with Jesus, starting right now and right through eternity. That's what I want. I, I want him to be in heaven. Let me go back, wrap this thing up where we started with Andrew. Once you think about being in heaven and you see in a crowd of people, there's Peter. And Peter has a lot of people around him. And a lot of people are asking Peter questions. You know, what was it like to walk on water? What was it like at the transfiguration? Everybody wants to talk to Peter because he's Peter, right? And then over another side of the room, there's, uh, there's this guy. And he said, hey, when I was a boy, I went to hear Jesus preach one time. And I had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus took my little lunch and he, he turned it into this wonderful miracle. I was that kid and everybody's asking that guy questions. And then in another corner, there's this group of guys who say, we were Gentiles. We were, we were, we were maybe the first outsiders to kind of get in on this whole thing. And, and they're talking. And then off by himself stands this man, Andrew. And the Gentiles go run into Andrew. And that man who used to be a little boy goes run into Andrew. And Peter goes run into Andrew. And says, Andrew, it's you. You're the one. You're the reason. You're the reason I'm here. You're the reason I get to be part of this story. Yes, the blood of Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit. But humanly speaking, Andrew, it was you. You're the one who introduced me to Jesus. Now think again about that person that you love. How long are you going to wait to have the conversation? Or how long are you going to wait to have the next conversation? Are you praying about that? Maybe even fasting about that? How long are you going to put it off? How many more excuses? Are you going to allow Satan to convince you that, oh, I don't have to do it now? If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we need to reach out and share Jesus, just like someone reached out and shared Jesus with us. None of us figured it out on our own. We need to be planting some seeds. This morning, I want names. I'm not going to ask you to write it down. I'm not going to ask you to to email me with names. I just want you to have some names in your mind, some names in your heart, and say, I'm going to pray about this person. And I'm going to pray that God would allow me to somehow connect this person with Jesus. Let's bow. Father, we thank you for Jesus. The way he taught the way he lived, the way he died, the reason that he died, and the fact that you brought him back from the grave. That's good news. And Father, there are people right now who don't know that good news. And there are people right now who are on our hearts, people that we love and people that we care about. And Father, there are people that we love so much that we can hardly bear the thought of them going through this life or the life to come without Jesus. So God, would you do what we can't? Would you soften a heart that we can't seem to soften? Would you bring home a child that we can't bring home? And Father, 
if you want to use us in that, just say the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and be standing and we'll sing.